Chapter Eight of All the World by Charles Monroe Sheldon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dolipinuroles. Chapter Eight. It was Requa who opened the door. At sight of Dick, she turned very pale and, without a word, started to close the door in Dick's face. But he put his foot against it, came in, shut it, and leaned back on it. I've just heard the news about your father, Requa, and had to come. Requa looked at him strangely. "'You had to come. Have you read the account in the paper?' "'Yes. Your father is convicted by the government. He has been sentenced. It does not seem possible. Requa, dear, I had come to comfort you.' "'To comfort me? Requa, I have not seen you for days, not since I was here last. What would you think of me if I should refuse to come in this great trouble? Why did you not send for me?' "'Have you read the account in the paper?' Requa asked hysterically. "'Yes, enough to know your father is sentenced.' "'But you have not read all. That is not all. If you had read all, you would not be here in this house.' "'What do you mean, Requa?' "'You have a paper there in your pocket.' Requa pointed a trembling figure at the paper Dick had bought. "'Read that before you touch me.' Requa drew back his dip step closer to her. He drew the paper out of his pocket, and, smoothing it out, began to read more of the details under the headlines. As he read on, he became so absorbed— so horribly interested in the government narrative that he forgot where he was, forgot Requa's presence, forgot everything, but the expert official statements he was reading, statements that convicted Rufus Randall of a crime so great that he wondered, as he read on, what action his father could take when he knew all. These are a few paragraphs which burned into his memory. Facts brought out by the government investigation prove that Rufus Randall's mills furnished parts for airplanes, including stretched cotter pins and wing skids numbered parts have been traced to defective planes used by our aviators in france it is conclusively proved by these numbered parts that material furnished by the accused rufus randall was so defective that the lives of several gallant men were endangered and some were actually lost in reply to request from investigating committee officers of blank aviation section division blank of flying corps american experiment company number blank we regret to say that the death of lieutenant albert ward was due in part if not wholly to a defective plane parts of which were issued from rufus randall's mill in bradford september blank lieutenant ward had engaged the enemy which had attacked him in squadron formation he had sent one german albatross down in flames and had attacked another when his machine was seen to crumple up on one of its wings he was seen by observers to crawl out on the other wing to preserve the balance and maintain this perilous position until his plane was within a hundred feet of the ground on the French side, the enemy retiring under fire from our anti-airplane guns. At that altitude six of our officers witnessed the sudden collapse of Lieutenant Ward's crippled machine as he fell, and we testify that his death was not caused primarily by wounds inflicted by the enemy, although he was shot in the head and shoulder. But his death, according to our belief, was directly due beyond question to the defects in the plane he was flying, parts of which plane by number can be traced to material supplied by Rufus Randall's mills. All the more we regret that several gallant heroes like Lieutenant Ward lost their lives on account of American greed and disloyalty. We, whose names are affixed, solemnly swear that in the best of our belief, Lieutenant Ward lost his life owing to defective parts of his plane, parts manufactured and supplied by the firm of Rufus Randall of Bradford. Here followed the signatures, officially designated, of the officers of Albert's company. Dick looked up from the paper and stared over at Requa. During his absorbed reading, she had sat down on a couch, and her face was buried in a cushion. "'Your father—' Dick had started to say something. He hardly knew what it was himself, under the tremendous shock of the revelation in the paper, 
when Rekwa raised her head. "'You understand now why I have not asked you to come here since you left me a week ago. Father confided all that to me before it came out in the paper. It is too horrible to believe. He says he did not know all about the details of the construction, that much of it was done by men lacking expert knowledge, and he can prove to the government that he was not knowingly guilty.' "'Dick!' Requa rose and cried out, as her lover stood stern and unresponsive. "'You do not know how miserable I am on account of all this. I cannot believe that father meant to do wrong.' "'And yet,' Dick said, shrinking back from Requa, as she had a little while before repelled him, "'the results of the defective work that went out of his mill was just the same as if he was personally responsible. Albert might be living today if—'But, oh, Dick, I am not to blame. I am not guilty.' Dick turned swiftly and the next moment he had held out his arm. Requa came to him like a child who was tired, and the next moment Rufus Randall walked into the room. During his entire war experience, Richard Ward, like thousands of other young Americans, had come to have a loathing of the fearful things the enemy had done to beautiful France. Devastated gardens and orchards and parks, bombed hospitals, tortured women and children, ruined cathedrals, blotted out landscapes. The whole thing sank like a blistering memory on his heart. And yet all through he had honestly tried to keep from hating. And now the sight of Rufus Randall affected Richard Ward along the line of least resistance. And he was tortured in soul over his loathing of what this man had permitted through his greed for profits, and his resistance to the appealing of personal antagonism he had for him. Randall stared at him as if not sure of his presence. "'What are you doing here?' he asked, speaking slowly. "'I came to comfort Requa for this,' Dick said, looking at the paper his hand still held. "'Lies! I can prove my innocence to the government! Do you think I would purposely—' "'I'm not here to judge you,' Dick cried suddenly. Then he looked at Requa. She had fainted. He carried her over to the couch and laid her down. Randall went out into the hall and called his servant, and Dick waited only a few moments of embarrassing uneasiness on Requa's account. When he went out into the hall, Randall followed him. Dick noted now, as he had not at first, the look on Randall's face betraying the burden he was carrying. "'Tell your father I would like to see him, will you?' Randall spoke with difficulty. "'Tell him yourself.' "'And I will!' Randall flared up with the white heat of sudden passion. He had picked up the copy of the journal which Dick had dropped when Rocco fainted, and he now tore it apart with his big hands and stepped on the pieces as he followed Dick to the door." Dick did not even turn around as he went out. It seemed to him he would choke if he tried to speak. He heard the door shut heavily behind him and went on down the walk. As he came out to the street, three or four men in the group, still standing about the way, came over to ask him about Randall. "'How's he taking it?' Bert Chandler's father was one of the men who asked. Dick answered in general terms. "'Hangin's too good for him,' another man said. The group formed about Dick as he tried to move along. He was annoyed and angered by the interruption, at a time when he was excited over his own feeling. "'When will the government arrest Randall?' asked one. "'He will give more bail and keep out of jail, all right,' said another. Dick managed finally to escape and start for home. He dreaded the meeting with his father, and he could not help wondering what the result of the meeting would be if Randall and his father should come together. But he had forgotten momentarily one thing among a multitude that the war had done for the folks at home. For months, the people in America had been living daily, almost hourly, in the atmosphere of great events. Shock had succeeded shock. Sensations had become commonplace. Death and destruction were everyday occurrences. 
People's hearts and minds were not capable of responding to all these events in proportion to their magnitude. There were too many of them. And there is a merciful limit to what the heart can endure or the mind entertained. So Dick, if he had better understood all this, might have been prepared for the sight of his father calmly going over the newspaper details of Randall's case as the government commission had given it out to the public. The evidence against Randall was so overwhelming and so conclusive that any possibility of a mistake was out of the question. Randall was simply whistling in the dark when he said he could prove his innocence. For days he had been living a death in life. The fear that had gripped him had forced a confession from him with Requa a week before the final result was made public. All this, John Ward must have grasped as he read the account given out sensationally that evening. He sat in his study confronting Dick, who had come in somewhat nervously. "'You know all about it, Dad?' "'Yes, Dick, it's dreadful. But it's no more dreadful than a hundred other things we have lived to bear during these past years. And do you know, I find myself thinking almost more of what is going to happen to Randall and Requa than of any effect on ourselves.' Something like a wave of relief swept over Dick. "'Oh, Dad, you can think of Requa, even now, can't you? She is not to blame. She is not to blame.' "'No, lad, she is not to blame. But the innocent always suffer both the guilty, only in a different way.' "'And Mr. Randall said he was going to see you. Will they let him? Will you see him?' "'He will not be formally apprehended before tomorrow, but he will be free to come any time before then. Yes, I will see him.' But, Requa, you cannot press the point of her going with you now. No, Dad, Dick said slowly. Her father has a claim. I don't deny that. And is your own purpose unchanged? Even if finally Requa should make her choice to say, will you go? It was a direct question, a characteristic ward point-blank question from father to son, and Dick, although used to that sort of frankness ever since he was a child, shrank a little and hesitated before he answered. Yes, I will go even if I have to go alone. But, oh, Dad, after all these years, without home and love and... Dick broke down, and his father comforted him as he used to do when Dick was a little boy. But it was the greatest proof he could have of the entire consecration of Dick to his call, that it sounded louder to him than even his natural craving for all that Requa meant to him. It startled Dr. Ward tremendously. After Dick had gone up to his own room, his father dropped the paper, which contained the dramatic account of Albert's death and as if that incident had affected him only for a moment, he let his mind dwell on the living fact of his younger son's consecration to an ideal that measured far more than any earthly ambition for pleasure or personal happiness. How great must have been the world's need of help that Dick had seen on the shattering battle-lines of France and Palestine! What momentous pressure must lie on his heart now to go into all the world and do his part as he had already gone once! The marvel grew as Dr. Ward dwelt upon the astonishing fact— a fact that outweighed at every angle the particular and detailed way in which Albert had met his death on the field of the world's honor. The week that followed Rufus Randall's tragedy was full of events that made fast and important history. On the technicality allowed him, he secured further bail pending final decision. Owing to the government's decision to proceed deliberately with this special case, which was attracting widespread attention, no immediate return was handed down. The Bradford citizens were divided in sentiment owing to Randall's long standing as a philanthropist, but the great majority were clamoring for his imprisonment. And still, he did not fulfill his threat made to Dick and come to see Dr. Ward. And the days spread by to another Sunday, filled with the Spirit's power even more than on the days which had already been marked. Even Dr. Ward, 
with all his optimism and faith in what had already been made manifest, was moved to the depths of that day's results. News which everyone had received of the open call for Mexico and Asia and Africa, and the government call for expert architects, farmers, and businessmen to heal the gigantic war wounds of the world, stirred the entire country. The President's proclamation for volunteers along these lines sounded on the hearts and minds of Bradford Ambulance No. 241 like a new call to the colors. And at the close of that memorable day, a gathering larger than the parsonage could comfortably contain waited for conference and prayer. End of chapter 8